Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. Come on, you guys. Good morning. There you go. Check out of, of church mode. Just because you came through the doors of a building that we call church doesn't mean you left your personality and your ability to speak and respond with you. Um, if this, how many of you guys are the very first time ever being here at Outreach Church with us this morning? You picked a great one to come. They're all great ones. No, keep your hands up real quick. We're not going to call you out or do anything weird. That's, that's if you come back next week. We really want to honor you guys. Yeah, next week we get you to sign the pledge and shave your head and start wearing the orange robe. But, but for this week, we want to just... I'm just kidding. But we do want to honor you guys and we want to say thank you for coming. You could have done anything this morning and you decided to come here and add who you are to what God's doing in this place and to add your voice to the worship and to add yourself to, to what he's doing. And so we believe that everybody that comes here and, and belongs to this family, not everybody in Greenville belongs here. That there's so many great churches all throughout Greenville, but we believe everybody who God calls to be a part of this church and make this church their family, that they contain things within them that God's placed there for the good of this body. So we're excited that you're here. We look forward to getting to know you and, and seeing everything that God's placed inside of you and, and growing with you and, and, and building relationship. You guys, you know, like one of the things that we'll have forever is relationship. And if it's something that God thought was worthy of lasting for eternity, it's probably something we should think is worthy of investing in now. If God, will, if God has, has built us for eternal relationship, then we should probably spend some time while we're here on earth investing into what God values for eternity. Right? I thought that was a good word. Um, so why don't we do this real quick just because there's a bunch of people here that, that I don't know and I want to say hey to some people uh, why don't you guys just stand up real quick right where you are I know you feel like you're in Catholic church now stand up sit down stand up sit down stand up sit down I promise this will be the last one uh, and, and do me a favor real quick just, just do this step outside your comfort zone a little bit I know all the introverts in here right now are just staring at me with daggers but it's okay you'll get over that don't I, you know what the whole well it's just not my personality thing you know what let that man die and become a new creation in Christ, filled with joy and actually looking forward to loving people, getting to know people. So if it's not your personality, then step outside of your personality and do something that's a little uncomfortable. Find someone you don't know uh, or that you haven't seen in a while. Say hey to him, get to know him real quick, and then we'll, we'll get started. Just think, if you got here early, you could do that like before church started. See how fun that is? All right, if you got here like 15 minutes early, you could do that for a while. We're going to take up our offering real quick. Um, we get to pay for the banana bread. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But here, here's the thing is, um, and, and I say this a lot because I honestly believe that it's so much deeper than whether or not we put money in the, in the plate when it goes by. It, it's so much bigger of an issue. It's so much deeper than that. It's not about whether or not I actually do something, but it's really about my heart. And if when, when someone in a church setting, when a pastor or someone starts talking about money, if something rises up and, and something in our hearts kind of, you know what I'm talking about. You have that, they want my money or something like that. Just, just do this. Put whatever it is you're going to put back in the plate. Just put it back in your pocket. I mean that, and I'm not saying that smartly. I, I'm, I mean that. Um, because there'll be a, there will come a time where you'll give that, and you'll give it cheerfully and joyfully, and that's what God's after. Um, because you can, you can fool yourself sometimes by saying, well, I gave, and feeling like because I gave, then, then everything's okay. But, but God's after our hearts. And if our heart doesn't, isn't okay, if our heart responds with, a, with, something, with something that rises up in us and, and has a problem with, with giving, whatever it is, whether it's time, money, talents, resources, whatever it would be that we're, that we're being asked to give, um, 
then just go home and ask God. Like, put that offering back in your pocket and just get alone with Him and, and be honest with ourselves and search yourself out and just, just ask Him, God, why is it that, that money does that to me? Why is it that that happens? What's going on in my heart that causes that reaction? Because I, I really want my heart to be in a place where when, when I give, it's cheerful because I know that's what you want, God. Because He said He loves a cheerful giver. Not giving out of compulsion. Not giving because someone told you you have to. Giving because you want to. Living with our lives. We like to say here, um, and you'll hear us talk about this a lot, but with, with our hands wide open. If I take something that God gives me and I wrap my hand around it so tightly and I wrap my other hand around that hand so tightly, there is every chance that you won't be able to get that from my hand. I, and maybe not. Maybe you can hold on to that forever. Maybe you're really strong. And no matter what anyone tried to do, you could just hold on to it. And you could hold on to it forever. The problem is in doing so, we've positioned ourselves where we can't receive anything else because we're so tightly holding on to what we already have. We want to live with our hands open, not just with our finances, with our relationships, with our lives, our talents, our resources, with everything that we have, saying, God, this is all yours. And so everything I have is yours. And, and if there's anything you want from me, it's yours. And in so doing, we position ourselves to receive all that he has for us, not missing out on anything because we're so hold, tightly holding on to one thing. So God, I thank you for that. I thank you right now that our hearts are free. God, that our hearts are free and that we can give cheerfully that we can give joyfully, not out of need or compulsion, but with a cheerful heart as we stand before you with this area of our lives surrendered as every other area of our life. I thank you for for blessing your people, God, that we're blessed to be a blessing. God, that the places we work, the businesses we own, the things that we do, all those are blessed, that everything we put our hand to prospers. I thank you, God, that that, that our, our minds are being renewed by truth and that our attitudes are lining up with your word in every area, including finances. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. They're going to take that up right now. Um, I want to tell you guys welcome. And, and really, when we say that, I, you, you could just, you know, it could be something that someone says like, well, hey, we're really glad you're here. We're so happy that you decided to join us. We, we really are. Like, we pray that God will bring the people here that, that he desires to be here. Um, to accomplish and do what he wants to do in, our, in us and through us as a body. And so we really are excited that you're here. And, um, and we really value your time and, and the fact that you would come here and worship with us. And man, there's something about gathering together. You know, you, I worship in my car and I worship at home, but there is something about gathering together with a group of believers. And there's that, that expectant joy in our hearts as we all worship together. It's just a warmth, right? Like you feel it. You don't even know what it is. And, and some people would say, well, that's for emotion. Listen, there's nothing wrong with having an emotional experience as we worship God. He's an emotional God. If we do it for that, we're not worshiping, we're working, we're trying to earn. But there's nothing wrong as we worship, when we experience, when our eyes are fixed upon. Listen, if you're singing and declaring His goodness and it doesn't make you happy, then what will? So, so let's not write off emotion as necessarily a bad thing. It's just not the one thing. It's a side effect of Him. It's a symptom of a greater disease, which is loving Jesus with all of our hearts. And from that comes joy and happiness and excitement. And that's what we experience when we come together and we worship together and unite our hearts together. Um, If you guys have your Bibles, um, get them out real quick. If you don't have your Bible, find a Christian near you, look at their Bible. And I'm I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, 
No, really, it's important, though, to have the Word. Have, have the Word of God. Like, if, if His Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, then, then, then we need to have His Word. We need to know His Word. If He said the Holy Spirit would bring into remembrance all these things that I've spoken to you, it's important that we actually know them for Him to bring them into our remembrance. Right? Because that's, that's how it works, is that that Word goes down deep inside of you. And even if in the moment it doesn't, like, light bulbs don't go off, there, that seed of the Word is inside of you, and in season, in time, when you need it, it comes forth and it bears its fruit in your life. And so, so it's important to have, have a Bible in a translation that you can understand. I, I like to use the NASB, but... Um, but how many of you guys know uh, a verse in, in John where it says, um, and you will know the truth and, the, and, and, that will, and that will make you, f- and the truth will make you free? How many of you guys know that verse? Yeah, okay. How many of you guys know what comes right before that? You can say that verse and you can, you can say the preceding sentences that lead up to, and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Before you find it in your Bible... Off the top of your head. See, why do we all know that verse, that part of that verse, but we don't know the preceding part? If we're not careful, we'll read through the Bible and we'll take little snippets and we'll say, well, and, and we'll start applying these things. And then we'll wonder why the word of God seems to be returning void. And we'll say, well, yeah, but God, your word says this. And we're standing on a part of a promise, but we're standing on the promise without understanding who the promise was made to and why. So always, 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 when you read something in the Word, find the context, search it out, and find out who was Jesus talking to, who was Paul writing to, and why was he saying this, and who was he saying this to. So open your Bibles up to uh, John chapter 8, in verse 31. This message has been rolling around for a while now, and I finally got to be able to speak it this morning. Um, So in, in, in John chapter 8, verse 31... It says, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. See, so Jesus is actually saying this to some, a certain group of people. It's not like a blanket promise that you can just grab onto and say, well, yeah, you know, he said, if you know the truth, the truth will make you free. And what made me realize this was thinking about this thought right here is that Judas heard and saw every single thing that the other disciples did. And yet he did what Judas did. How could a man who walked with him, who saw what they saw, who heard what they heard, who knew the truth, in the sense of he knew the truth, end up in the position that Judas was in? How many of the people that you know in your life can rehearse the Bible and spout Scripture better than you can, yet their life looks nothing like the life of Jesus that we read about? And how is that even possible? And so I was looking at this, you know, and I've heard so many times, well, then you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. And we quote, the truth will make you free. But, but we have to understand something that that was a, a part of a promise that Jesus made and understanding who he made that promise to and what he was promising is so important. It says to those that believed him, he says, then he turned and he was speaking to the Jews that had believed him. These were the Jewish people who actually were able to, because they heard the words of Jesus, turn from what they had known and actually believe that what he was saying was truth. They believed him. In other words, when they heard him, they believed him. So much so that word believe there um, in the Greek means that they had actually entrusted um, to him and that they, they were entrusting their lives to him and that, that they, when they heard him, they actually believed what he was saying. And so he's talking to them and it's no different for us today is that this promise is still true for every single person that reads it, but there's also the qualifier for every single person that reads it too. And that is that we actually believe him. Not that we know His Word, because I know a lot of atheists that can quote the Bible better than I can. But that we believe Him. Do I actually believe Him? Have I entrusted Him with my life? And see, so many times today it would be so easy to say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Everybody says it. 
80% of the population right now claims, uh, roughly claims, depending on what poll you look at, claims that they believe in Jesus, yet our country does not reflect that the majority of our population actually believes in the Jesus that we read about in the Bible. Why is that? Because many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, and I'll say to them, depart, I didn't know you. See, you can, you can believe something, I mean, you can know something, but not believe it. And I think Judas knew all the things the disciples knew, yet he actually never believed. And I'm afraid that there's a lot of people, if we're not living this out authentically, that will actually say, I believe, but we'll hear. Jesus promised it was going to happen. I'm not saying that to scare us. I'm saying that, listen, you guys, it's possible to go through life and actually even do some things and say, but God, didn't I do this? And didn't I do that? And him say, I didn't know you. That's a sobering thought. That's a sobering thought. But. So he's speaking this to those that believed him. So there's a qualifier. And he says, he says to those that believe in him. And then he says this. If you continue in my word, then you're truly a disciple of mine. So to those that believe him, now you've believed him. And he says, now if you continue in my word. What word? The words that he had spoke to them that they believed. And when I would hear that, if you continue in my words, it sounded like something I had to do, like an active thing, like, like I have to keep on reading his word and keep on knowing his word and keep on memorizing his word. Like I started with the word, you know, and then I have to continue in that word. And, 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 but actually that word there um, continues a Greek word. I don't know why I have so many Greek definitions this week, but it's a Greek word, meno, and it's a verb. It's an active word, but what it means is to stay, abide, continue, dwell, endure, remain, or stand. So Jesus said, if you believe me, and if you continue, if you remain, if you stay, if you abide in my word, if you endure, if you remain, if you stand. You know how many people will hear the words of Jesus and believe them for a moment when life matches up with what the word of God tells them, but then the second that something happens in this life where the what they see doesn't match up to what they know or what they've heard or what they've believed, and it gets stolen from them so fast, and they give up and say, I guess that wasn't true. And they live their lives as if what they heard wasn't true because what they're seeing doesn't line up. That's why we're called to walk by faith and not by sight because there will be times in our lives where what we see doesn't line up with what we know to be true. And in that time, there's every one of us faces the decision, will we remain in what we actually believe? See, it's one thing to say, I believe it when everything in my life lines up with what I say I believe. That's easy. Of course you believe. Everything in your life, all of your experiences are proving what you believe to be true. But what happens when life like a freight train comes along and suddenly everything that you see seems to disagree with what Jesus said to be true? Then what? And that's where I think a lot of people, the gospel goes from being something that they actually believe and walk in to being something that they know as head knowledge. And with their lips, they honor him, but with their hearts, they're far from him because they're so offended in their heart because what they see in life doesn't line up with what he said to be true, that they get angry at him and determine that if something isn't true, it must be him because my experience surely is true. We will so easily trust our experience and let that be the dictator of truth in our lives rather than if Jesus said it or if the word declares it. So Jesus said, when this happens, if you'll stay, if you'll not be moved by your circumstances, not be moved by challenges, not be moved by feelings, 
This is what he's saying. If you believe and then you remain there. In other words, it's one thing to believe it. It's a whole other thing to actually stay and abide and endure right where I said I believe even when things around me start to go differently and start to go against me or things don't line up. And a lot of times if a challenge comes along, it will move us from our place of what we believe and we'll start adjusting our belief. That's why we have so many weird theologies out there because we try to come up with a theology that matches our experience and we constantly are changing and bending the word of God to make it fit what I've seen with my eyes rather than keeping our theology straight with what he spoke with his mouth. And so we come up with these weird theologies and we start doing uh, scriptural gymnastics to try to make the word of God fit what I've experienced, rather than taking my experience and lining it up with the word of God and determining whether what I've experienced is truth or not. I drag God into court and I find him guilty of being wrong. And then I start changing my belief. Well, I used to believe that. How many times have you guys heard people say that? I used to believe that. And then, and they give you something that happened in life that changed what they believe as if Jesus put an asterisk next to it when he said it and said, this is truth except for if you experience blah, blah, blah. And we're so quick to change what we believe rather than standing and staying and enduring. Jesus said, if you continue in my words, then you're my disciple. And people talk about feelings a lot. And lately I've heard a lot of people talk about feelings, you know, because you talk to them and you say, well, you know, you don't do this and you don't do that and you don't do that. And they say, well, what are you, some kind of a robot that you don't have feelings? Listen, I have feelings. You have feelings. But who said that those feelings are from God? Who said that that feeling is something that God wants me to feel? Who said that every emotion that I experience is sent by God? If you want to know a good litmus test to find out whether or not the emotion or the feeling that you're feeling in the moment is from Him, here's an easy way to determine that. Look at the fruit of what it produces in your life and look at where it leads your attitude and your actions and find out if it makes you more like Christ or look less like Him. And then you can find out really quickly whether or not that feeling that you're feeling is worth feeling. Well, I can't help it. I get angry. No, you don't get angry. Anger is there and you choose to allow that to remain and affect your attitude. And I'll tell you a very simple way that you can tell that you can, that you can see this played out in life. Is that I've had times in my life. You guys right this morning? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes all the stares are like this and I just have to make sure because my wife tells me a lot and I say it's like, she tells me you, you get this intense look on your face and you can almost look like you're angry. I promise I'm not angry. I love you. Yeah. <laughs> I love you more than you know. I love you enough that I want to speak the truth to you even if it's something that doesn't feel good. Um, but I've had times in my life where I've been heartbroken and I've had times in my life where the heartbreak was godly and I've had times in my life where the heartbreak was ungodly. And the way that I could tell the difference between the two was the fruit of them and where they led my attitude towards. Because a godly sense of heartbrokenness over what... And see, they looked the same to a lot of things, right? Like I was, I was heartbroken over something that somebody had done. And so if you asked me what was wrong, I would say, I'm just, I'm just, I'm really hurting because of this. And I'm heartbroken because of this situation. And it would have sounded right and everybody in the world would have said, oh man, I understand if that was me, blah, blah, blah. And they would have affirmed me in my actions. The problem is, is that one of the times, rather than being heartbroken for the person, I was heartbroken by the person. And all that made me want to do was hold on to bitterness and anger and want to see them pay for what they had done. That's not a godly emotion. Me being heartbroken by them is not a godly emotion. I've also been heartbroken for somebody when they did something to me because I look at them and I say, man, the only way they could do something like that is if they don't understand who they are. 
It's Jesus on the cross looking out at the very people who nailed him to it, saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's not on the cross offended and hurt and heartbroken by them. He's on the cross hurting for them and heartbroken for them because he understands if they knew what they were doing, they wouldn't be doing what they've done. If they knew who they were and they knew who I was, if they saw clearly, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing. And he allows himself to be heartbroken, but it's for them, not by them. And it's actually a godly use of that emotion. That's a feeling worth having. So just because you're feeling it doesn't mean that it's okay or it's from God. Well, well, it's real. No, listen, what's real is the word of God. It says what, what, what is unseen is more real than what is actually seen. That temporal things are passing away, but eternal things are here forever. So if he spoke it, his word is eternal. So if it doesn't line up with his word, I don't care how real it seems, have another thought, think differently, see things the way that he sees them. Step outside of feeling bad for yourself and understand you're okay. Why would you respond to brokenness against you by brokenness in you? Have you ever noticed that? That people walk around hurt and offended and angry because somebody else acted broken towards them? And while they're saying it's a big billboard that you put up there and says, I have no idea who I am and my sense of self-worth comes from you understanding who I am. And if you don't see me for who I am and you do something broken to me, I will respond the exact same way because out of all I have, what I've freely received is what I'll freely give. And what I have, I give. How much sense does it make for somebody who's born again, a new, new creation in Christ, to respond to brokenness with brokenness of their own? Well, you don't know what they did. People say that. We love to defend our feelings. Why? Because they're my feelings and you don't know and you're not going to tell me that I should be okay. Why not? The, I'm not telling you you should be okay. The gospel tells you that you should be okay. I'm just repeating what he said. See, because he came to make all things new, to set the crooked path straight, to right every wrong, to heal up the brokenhearted, to mind, bind up every wound. He came to make so that I could live in a way that it doesn't matter if people around me do the right thing. I can be okay no matter what because of him and who I am in him. And my identity is not found in that. And so, you, you, just, just think about it, you guys. If the response that's coming from me mirrors the, res, the thing that was done to me, how is that the gospel? How is that me responding with Christ-likeness? How is anything different about me? And if what's coming out of me looks nothing like Jesus when people were persecuting Him, then how can I say that I'm following Him? And this is what Jesus said. He said, if you will continue, if you, for those that believe, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciple. In other words, then you're actually following me if when things come against you, you stay and stand and remain and endure where you started before the thing came. See, it's really easy when everything's going good to say, on Christ the solid rock I stand, you know, and all that stuff. And we, we declare, and man, we're all over Facebook just declaring the goodness of God. But let something go wrong in our lives, and what comes out of us determines whether or not we're actually following Him. Because one thing to say, I believe in Jesus, it's a whole other thing to die to yourself, deny yourself, and take up your cross and actually follow Him, which is what He called us to do. He never said, pray a prayer so that one day you'll go to heaven. He said, believe in me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Right, like right now, I know for a fact that there's toes being stepped on. It's okay, the gospel steps on my toes all the time, but it's the best kind of hurt because if we'll allow it to move us to a place of truth, we won't find ourselves so easily offendable and we'll live a life that's a whole lot better than what we've been living before. What good is it to hold on to a theology that allows you to live like you lived before you were born again? 
think about it. If all things passed away and everything became new, yet my life now looks just like my life then, except for I believe that one day when I die, I'm going to go to heaven because I said a magical prayer. How am I a new creation in Christ? How is everything passed away and all things becoming new? Oh, so you're saying you never get mad? Why is it about what I'm saying I ever get mad or not? It's about whether Jesus said that I should walk in this world as he walked. We so many times, you guys, we want to disqualify the message because of the messenger. And so when someone's saying something like this, the first thought that pops into our heads a lot of times is, oh, so you're going to tell me that you, this has nothing to do with me. If I had to walk in this 100% perfect to be able to stand up here and preach, we would all go home and never come back. But I can tell you what I'm called towards. And I can tell you that my life looks a whole lot different now than it did then. And that's not me boasting except for in him. And that we're all called to be able to, like Paul, say, follow me as I follow Christ. That wasn't just for Paul to say. Paul never said, put me in stained glass and call me a saint. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. But see, we put, we put a saint in front of his name that he never told us to put in front of his name. And we put him in stained glass windows that he didn't ever tell us to put him in. And then we make him something that's unattainable. And we look at him and we say, well, yeah, but that was Paul. No, that was a man who was born again, a new creation in Christ, filled with the same Holy Spirit that you're filled with. Who believed the same gospel that you believe, but actually dared to live it out. I know. It's okay. Just wiggle your toes a little bit. I'll probably step on them again. So what does this look like in real life? See, because this whole thing of if you, to those that believe, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciple, then you will know the truth. It's not about discovering truth in the moment. It's about actually knowing the truth. And that word there in the Greek, see, we lose so much in our English translation. That word there in the Greek says, is, is ginosko, which means to be aware of, allow, feel, have knowledge, perceive, be resolved, can speak of, be sure, and understand. And this is what he's saying. If you guys actually believe me, and then when life comes, and what you see or how people treat you is not right, but you don't allow that to move you, but you actually remain, you continue in my word, continue in what you believed, no matter what the enemy says. See, I declare that you're clean. The word says that over and over again. So if Jesus Christ says that you are clean and holy and acceptable before God, then when the enemy comes with accusation, rather than adjusting our theology and agreeing with him, if we will remain where we were before the enemy even came, then we endure. Then we're actually following him. And then we will know the truth. Then we will experience the truth. Then we will feel the truth. Then we will perceive truth. Then we will understand truth. Then we'll be sure of truth. Then we'll be able to speak of truth. Because our belief leads to testimony. All of our theology should always lead to testimony. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of words that sound good on paper and look good on print, but have no power. So Jesus is saying this, if you believe me and you continue, remain, endure, stay in my word, then you're my disciple. Then you will actually experience, be aware of, feel, have knowledge of, be resolved, speak of, be sure of. Why? Because you're actually proving to yourself and to the world around you that you really do believe what you said you believed, even when things come against it and even when it's not easy and even when it's not convenient. When you've got a ton of money in your checking account to say, my God will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory is a whole lot easier to say than when there's a bunch of mail stacked up in the mailbox that says that you're getting kicked out of your house. 
But the promise of Jesus is, is if you believed me when you had money in your checkbook, keep believing me when you see there's zeros in your checkbook. And if you'll remain there and stay there and endure there, you'll actually experience the truth. What is the truth? The truth is that he would supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. You'll actually experience that to the point where you can actually be sure of that and you can speak of it. You actually have a testimony because you didn't move from the truth. You stayed in the truth and then you actually saw the promise made good on. The belief came before seeing. He said, you believe me, we'll stay there, continue on in that, endure in that, abide in that, remain in that, and dwell in that. And if you do that, that's actually following me. Following Jesus means I stay where Jesus said that I am, no matter what the world around me says or looks like. He says, if I will do that, then I will be able to, to speak of it. I'll experience it. I'll feel it. I'll have knowledge of it. I'll be resolved. You guys, here's the thing. I've told this story before, right? One time I went down to meet somebody in Clemson, and... uh and I, I met him, and I left, and I drove all the way back up here, and I got here to the church, and I realized that I left my laptop in the little diner on Clemson's campus. And I thought, oh, man, because my life is on that thing, you know? Like, this was before I had Backblaze, so it was like everything was on there, all my pictures. I've got, you know, my message notes all the way back to 2009, I think, are on that computer. And just so much irreplaceable stuff and notes and stuff God's spoken to me and words I've written down and and pictures and just just so much stuff and plus it's my computer you know it's, I like the thing and um I do it's a MacBook Pro and it's like it's nice and thin and slim and it does everything I want it to do and it's it, I just like it and and so I got back here and I realized that I'd left it down there and so I looked up the phone number to the place so that I could call them and the phone number that they had listed online was disconnected uh, apparently they'd changed their number so now I can't even call the place to find out so I came into the church and there was a guy here he had made a pot of coffee and he was leaving so I came in here grabbed a cup of coffee and I walked out and I heard the door click behind me and I realized that the door had locked well no problem I'll go to my car get my keys and unlock the church so I can go in there because it's like 95 degrees out and 100% humidity and when I walked back to my car i pull the handle and the door's locked and i see my keys in the ignition so here i am i cannot get a hold of the people where my computer was left it's on a college campus in a little diner that was full of people when i left right chances are it's gone i'm locked out of my car i'm locked out of the church it's 95 degrees i have sweat rolling down every part of my body that you could have sweat rolling down and then some and I'm standing there and I decide, okay, well, I've got to get into my car to get my keys, you know, because I can't just stand here all day. And it's the only key for my car. Otherwise, I would have called my beautiful wife and said, bring me a key. But I only had one. And so I find this wedge of wood and I stick it down in the window and I prop the thing open. I put my coffee up on the thing and I'm jiggling it and I bump the coffee and it dumps over and spills and hot coffee pours down my arm and runs down my body. And I'm sitting there watching it pour off of my roof into my car and drip on my Bible. And there's nothing I can do about it. And in that moment, everything around me did not say that I had the joy of the Lord in my heart. (laughs) Everything around me did not say that He would supply all of my needs. And everything around me did not say that He was my shield and my buckler. Because life was happening, and this is all real. And see, we laugh now, but in the moment, it's like 90, it might have been 105 that day. (laughs) By the time I'm like 60, it'll be 130. But seriously, it's like the middle of summer, one of the hottest days ever, and there I am. And, and, and all I could do is think, God, I'm, and this is the truth, and this is not because of me and I'm bragging on me, I'm boasting in Him. And all I could do in that moment was think, God, I thank you that you've made me a patient man. God, I thank you that that computer is the least of your concerns, that, that you part the seas with your fingers and you measure the universe in the span of your hand to hold on to my MacBook until I get there is not a big thing for you. 
God, I thank you that there's something inside me that's greater than everything that I see right now and that I have patience, that I have the mind of Christ and that I can actually find joy in this moment. And so I decided, I found a, um, a landscaper had stuck flags to mark Springfield. I stole it from the church next door. And <laughs> I know, I know. We'll find out if he listens to our podcast or not next week. And um, he's a good man. I've talked to him. Um, and he, he is an awesome man that loves Christ. So he wouldn't have cared. He, it's not really stealing because I know that his heart towards me is all that I have is yours. I just, I just believe that. I believe that as a Christian, he walks with his hand wide open and says, all that I have is yours. And so I just know that he would have wanted me to take that flag anyways. And so, so I, I took the flag and I pulled it up out of the ground. And I made a little circle because my car had knobs you know, that are just like straight knobs. And so I made a little circle at the bottom of it and I wedged the window open and I, I made a game out of it, you know, of, of, of making that circle just the right size where I could push it down and it would kind of expand a little bit and then pinch around it. And I got the car door unlocked and I wiped the coffee up and I got on my phone and I thought, See, I don't have Facebook. I didn't have it back then. So I was like, um, I have a confession to make. I, I do have a Facebook page. But listen, lest you judge. It is under an anonymous name, and it is only so I can be part of the bonsai auctions that are on Facebook. Okay? Okay, second confession. I really, really like little trees. All right. So, so I got it open, and it's open, and I'm like, oh, thank you, Lord. And so I grabbed the phone, and I think, well, maybe they have a Facebook page. So I look on their Facebook page, and there was contact info on there, and I found the little diner, and I called them. And I said, hey, uh, my name's Roy. I was in there earlier, had lunch, and I left my laptop there. And, um, and I'm wondering if you guys found it. She said, is it a MacBook Pro? And I said, yeah. She said, yeah, we actually found it. We closed in about five minutes, so we sent it next door to the Italian restaurant. They put it in their safe there. And we told them if someone comes looking for a MacBook Pro that they left to give it to them, it would be yours. I thought, awesome. So I get in my car, and I'm driving down the highway. And now, you know, it's an hour drive there and an hour drive back. And I said, God, I thank you that I have two hours in my day that I can just spend with you and worship you. And I just worship God the whole time there. Now, do I respond like that every single time? Why does it matter? I should. Because the same power that was available that day is available every single day. And here's what happened. In that moment, I proved to myself and to all the, 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 the demonic and angelic realm that was watching that I actually believe what I say. That I don't just say that God is making me patient in their times when I don't need any patience. That I don't just say that I have joy that's accessible that has nothing to do with what's going on around me. Because in that moment, there was nothing going on around me that would bring me joy. I had a scalded arm, sweating like crazy. I don't like to be hot. I grew up in South Florida and people are like, oh, you must love the heat. I hate it. Especially outside. And so there was nothing going on. I didn't know. I was uncertain about where my laptop was going to be and I was uncertain about this and I couldn't get in my car. But in that moment, there was nothing externally that was making me feel the joy of the Lord. But there was something internally that said, it doesn't matter what's going on around here. I have a greater truth that lives within me and I live from that truth. And I'm not trying to find patience in the moment. I'm actually experiencing what I already believed before I found myself. That's why it's so important that we know truth. Because if we believe it in the moment, it's what's in us. It's a hard, a hard place to try to figure out what you believe when you're in the middle of a storm. 
That's a horrible place to learn. A test is a horrible time to learn. A test is to show you what you actually know and what you actually believe, but it's a horrible way to learn. It's better to figure out what we know before we have to take the test so that when we take the test, what we already know will carry us through the test rather than trying to figure out what we believe in the moment. Because if I tried to find joy and patience and peace and all that stuff in that moment out there, I would have never found it. But I found it beforehand, and so what's in me came out of me. And I honestly sat in the parking lot laughing and praising God and thanking Him for who He's making me. And I proved to myself, I proved to the enemy that I actually believe what I'm saying and that I'll remain in His Word. So, so let's look at it practically, right? Turn to First Peter 2. First Peter 2, verse 21. How many of you guys have ever had somebody speak negatively about you, speak badly about you, slander your name, spread lies, gossips, rumors, or any of that stuff about you? How many of you guys? Come on. I'm, I'm serious. Like, I really want to know. Okay, good. It's not just me. No, but here's the thing. So, so how do we respond when something like that happens? Right? Like we can actually respond and choose how we're going to respond to that. And in doing so, it show, shows what we actually believe. Because in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, it says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in His mouth. And while being reviled, He did not revile in return. While suffering, He uttered no threats, but kept entrusting Himself to him, him who judges righteously. So we have an example set for us. There's a truth laid out for us in the Word, and it says this is how Christ lived, and He did so as an example to you, that when people reviled Him, He didn't revile them in return. When people abused Him, He didn't respond with abuse of His own. Instead, He entrusted Himself to God. In other words, it didn't matter what people said. He only worried about what the Father said. He entrusted His well-being and His identity and who He was to what the Father said. That's why man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of the Father. If we know what God's saying about us, it doesn't matter what people are saying about us. And then we can actually respond correctly. But when we're in a place of having no clue who we are in Christ and having no idea what God has spoken over us, when people say things, it actually matters to us. And then we want to respond with things of our own. So if we believe what the Word says, the Word says a kind word turns away wrath. See, if you believe that, it's one thing to say, yes, I believe that's true. It's a whole other thing when someone is pouring out wrath on you and misjudging you and mistreating you and falsely accusing you and responding to you in a way that you don't like. All of those things make it hard for you to stay where Jesus called you to be if you don't actually believe that a kind word will turn away wrath. And the way that you respond shows whether you actually believe and are going to remain in what you said you believed before they started. And so you have a choice in that moment. You can respond the way that you've always responded. You can fire back something hurtful and angry and you can set them straight and you can prove them wrong and you can walk away. And all that's going on is that sin is reproducing itself inside of you. And later you know because you feel horrible for what you did. But in the moment, rather than remaining in His Word, you allowed what was going on around you to move you from what you actually believed. Or you can respond with a kind word that turns away wrath. And when you see the fruit of it, it proves to you that every word of God is true. That's what it looks like in real life because there's, there's one of two things that are going to happen. You're either going to believe the Word to the point that you will actually act based on what you believe 
or you'll be moved from what you believe and adjust what you believe based on what's going on around you. So it's easy for me to say that. It's a whole other thing when it's actually coming at me to respond like Christ. And whether I respond like Christ or not, it determines whether or not I actually remain in His Word. And that is what determines whether or not I experience the truth of His Word and am set free. You see how that works? You get set free. Why? Because you walk away free. There's nothing in, on your conscience and there's nothing in your heart that's unchristlike. Because when somebody poured out against you, all you did was speak kindness to them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And it's not just for Jesus because then there's Stephen and they're raising stones and they're going to smash him to death with stones. And what does he say? Father, don't hold this against them. Why? Because he actually believed to the point that even when it meant death, he would remain in what he said he believed. It's one thing for Jesus, Stephen to say, God, I believe and I trust in you and I believe that you've called me to love these people no matter what they do. It's a whole other thing when they're actually picking up rocks. That's when the rubber meets the road and we determine whether we actually believe what we say we believe and remain in his word and so prove to be his disciples. And that's when we know the truth and the truth sets us free because Stephen understood and experienced truth in that moment because when he passed from this life and stood before him in paradise, he understood that it was better to love his own life not unto death than to yield to what they were calling him to for the sake of saving his earthly life. And he's forever set free. That's what we're called to, you guys. That's why we have to know truth. It's so important that we know truth. It's so important that we understand and we go after. You have to know His Word. You have to actually believe and know what you believe and determine what you believe before you get to a place of having to use it. Before you're in the middle of the lake freaking out, understand this. If the disciples would have really believed Jesus' words when He said, let's go to the other side, they would have never freaked out when they ran into a storm because they would have understood. He didn't call us to go to the middle of the lake and die. He didn't say, let's get in the boat and go halfway and die. He said, let's go to the other side. If they actually believe that, when a storm comes, it doesn't move them from what they believe. They just keep on sailing, understanding. He didn't say, let's go to the middle and die. He said, let's go to the other side. And if he said it and every word that proceeds from his mouth is truth, then that means no matter what storm is going on around me, I'm going to end up on the other side. And all I have to do is actually trust him and remain and abide and dwell in the word that he spoke. Sometimes I feel like I have to go 100 miles an hour because there's so much I want to get out. You know what it is? It's all week. You keep taking it in and then pretty soon it's built up and it's like fire shut up in your bones and before you know it, you're just opening your mouth and and it all comes out and you just hope that it landed where it's supposed to and that it made sense to somebody. I'm going to just close up with this. There are so many promises in the Word. There are so many promises in the Word that if we believe them will keep us in times of trial and in times of tribulation, and in times of trouble. From relationships to finances, Jesus said, don't worry about what you will eat or what you will wear. For the, for the Gentiles, the pagans, the ones who don't know God as Father, they worry about these things. You have a heavenly Father who loves you more than the birds of the air, and look how He takes care of them. Jesus was basically saying to them, you guys, you guys, if you're worrying about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear, if you're worrying about the things that God's promised to supply you, what you're saying is, is I don't believe the promise of my father. And you're acting like someone who's a Gentile at that time was a pagan, didn't know him as father. You guys are acting like the Gentiles. You guys are acting like the ones that don't know him as father. And you're running around acting like it's your responsibility to make sure that all of your needs are met when he's promised to supply all of your needs if you would just follow him. You've got your eyes off something. But see, it's one thing to say that I believe that. It's another thing when literally there's no money 
and there's bills due, then what? Do I actually believe it? Because the way that I live will determine whether it will, will show you and prove whether I actually believe all that stuff or if it's just something I say when it's easy to say. See, I could say, God, thank you for making me a patient person when I'm not having to wait on anything, when I don't have boiling coffee pouring down my arm, when it's not covering my car and I'm worried about my laptop getting stolen. I can say, God, I thank you that I'm patient. It's a whole other thing to stand in the face of all of that and have something that you actually believe to the point that it transcends what's going on around you and it's a greater truth. It's a way that you can just judge your feelings. How do you know what feelings to hold on to? The ones that make you more Christ-like. Look at your actions. Look at the attitude that that feeling is causing in your life and weigh that against the life of Christ and the fruit of the Spirit. And then it's really easy to determine whether or not that feeling is worth feeling. Otherwise, we'll be driven by worldly wisdom, which the book of James says is sensual, driven by the senses, by what's going on around us, by what we see, feel, hear, touch. But we're called to live from heavenly wisdom, which is pure and from above. So if you believe what I say, and you remain, continue, abide, endure, dwell in my word, then you're actually following me. Then you'll experience You'll know, you'll feel, you'll be sure of and able to speak about the truth. And that will set you free. That's a promise. It starts with us actually determining, what do I believe? And then determining that no matter what comes against me, no matter what goes on around me, I won't be shaken, I'll stay, I'll endure, I'll dwell, I'll abide, I'll remain right here. Not just when it's easy, not just when it's convenient, and not just when it lines up. But when hell itself comes against it, I will not be shaken because his words are true. It's like the disciples. And just the last thing I'm going to say is when Jesus said, if you want to come after me and you want to be part of me, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they said, this is too hard a saying. Who can know this? And it says that all of them, including his disciples, there was more than the 12 that were being discipled by him, turned and walked away. And he looks at the 12 that are left and he says, Do you want to go too? And they look at him and they say, where would we go? You've got the words of life. In other words, it doesn't matter what everybody else around us is saying or where they're going or what is being shaken. God, we've settled and we've resolved this, that you have the words of life and there's nowhere else that we could go. And it doesn't matter what comes against that. It doesn't matter what happens in life. We won't be shaken. We won't be moved. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that every word that proceeds from your mouth is truth, God. God, I just pray right now for people who feel like that you've brought them to the middle of the lake to drown, God, that they would go back and remember the words that you've spoken over their lives and that they would be able to believe just as easily in the middle of the storm as they believed when standing on the calm of the shore. Right now, in Jesus' name, God, that you would bring them to that place of the words that you've spoken over their lives. God, that the calmness that they experienced when standing on the shore would fill their hearts now while they're in the middle of the storm that they would continue, that they would remain, that they would endure and abide and dwell in what you've spoken to them and not be shaken, so proving to be your disciple to prove that they are following you. God, that there would be a day that comes that they actually experience and understand and can speak of the truth of your word and say, there was a time in my life where I could honestly say when I looked around, I didn't know how, but I trusted him. And now looking back, I can say that he is faithful, he is good, he is just. I thank you for that, Father. I thank you for the freedom that it brings. I thank you that that's how we are set free, is by walking in truth. 
and eating the fruit of it. I ask God that every word spoke today from your heart, God, to my mouth, that, that our hearts would be good soil. God, that we would receive the seed of your word, that it would take root in our lives and produce fruit, that a world that desperately needs to know you would taste the fruit of our lives and see that you're good as they encounter the love of Jesus through his people. I ask that you bless every person in this place right now listening. God, I know in a room with this many people that there's so many different things going on in so many different people. God, I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you know every single thing that's happening right now and that you alone can meet every single need and speak to every single heart. And I thank you that you're doing that right now. And thank you for who you are in Jesus' name and who we are because you said, Amen. Amen. Guys, um, there's going to be people from our prayer team up front here. Listen, please do not leave needing prayer for anything. If you need prayer, it doesn't matter what it's spiritually, physically, emotionally healing in your body. If you need wisdom facing a big decision, you just need somebody that can pray over you and declare God's wisdom, the mind of Christ over you. I pray that you would come up front. Don't leave needing prayer for anything. If you're going through a hard time, through a hard situation, and right now you just need somebody to speak the truth over your life and agree with you on God's word, come up here. One of our prayer team would love to pray with you. It's not a burden. It's a pleasure to be able to do that. We love you guys. Find some people you don't know before you leave. Start building those relationships. We'll see you back soon. We love you.